Okay, I'd like for you to open in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Familiar passage. We read it also for uh, one of the uh, lighting of the candles. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we we know that um, during this time that Israel had been disobedient to the Lord and they were there was a remnant, though, coming back to the Lord, and the Lord was blessing that remnant. And Isaiah was writing this book, uh, speaking a lot about the hope or giving them hope as far as not just God bringing them back, but also of a future redeemer, of a Messiah, and uh, telling Israel about this Messiah, this, this one that they should hope for. And there's two things that I want us to understand about this passage before we unwrap the meaning. I want to talk about these things briefly. And the first thing is music. We all love music. We know how much music is a part of worship. Music is very important. And it's important in the Bible, especially in the life of Israel. Uh, When Israel was set free from the Egyptians, what did they do? They stopped and sang a hymn and praised God, which was recorded in Exodus chapter 15, uh, verses 1 and 2. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. Years later, we have King David, and David compiled a hymnal at which we have had preserved in Scripture, and that is uh, much of the book of Psalms. And Psalm 43, uh, the first part of it says, He, meaning God, has put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Of course, in the New Testament, Paul speaks about uh, singing, and he talks about spirit-filled Christians. And in chapter 5, in verse 19, he says, these are some evidence of a spirit-filled Christian. He says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So we see that uh, songs are very important. But not only important with humans, I I believe that they're important with angels too. Some people say, well, you know, angels don't sing. Well, I believe that they do. In Job 38, 7, we're told that the morning stars sang together. And often the morning stars in the Bible is a reference to angels. On the evening of Christ's birth, the angels formed, I believe, a massive choir and sang the very first announcement Uh, to that group of stunned shepherds, if you recall, uh, in uh, in Luke 2.13. And suddenly there appeared with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Can you imagine? We having the sky filled with angelic beings who began to praise God. And what's so interesting about that is, The verb for praising God is a rare Greek word used in the Septuagint. You know what Septuagint is? The Old Testament Greek. 
And it was a, it, it comes from a verb used throughout this uh, Septuagint for the Hebrew word Ha'el, which is a word that was often used to refer to praising God through song. And so the tense of the verb indicates that it was sung over and over again. The angels, though, were not the first to start singing about baby Jesus. I believe here there was a prelude of music before Joseph and Mary ever arrived in Bethlehem. Uh, and this we pull from Isaiah 9-6, one of the first hymns. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, however we look at this, and if we want to divide it up as Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, doesn't matter. But I, I'm going to be breaking this down in just a few moments by wonderful and counselor separate. But going together also. Isaiah, inspired by God, composed a verse in, in this uh, scripture to describe the coming Redeemer and who it would be. And we will examine the description of this Redeemer, especially with these names given today. And tonight, names are so very important. That's the second thing that I want to talk about. Not only music is important, but names are important. Now, I know that many people wouldn't think that today with how they name their children. But names were important in biblical times. I mean, today we often give names to children uh, that don't mean anything. And matter of fact, uh, they, they sound... Uh, kind of weird and they're hard to pronounce and, and uh, usually don't mean anything. A study by psychologists involving 15,000 juvenile delinquents said that his, one of them said that his discovery was children with unusual or difficult names are four times more likely to become juvenile delinquents. Wow. That's why I almost became a juvenile delinquent by, because of my last name, Purdy. Hey, Purdy boy, you know, I didn't like that, is it? So, but, you know, names are so weird. A lot of times people even change names. I mean, they'll go to extremes to have their names changed. I know of one Indian in Arizona. You know, Indians had wild names sometimes, and he went to court, changed his name, and the judge asked, what is your name? And he said, um, Big Chief, screaming train whistles. Judge shook his head and he said, what do you want to change it to? He said, toots, toot, toot. Yeah, yeah, get there. Okay. okay. So, but names can carry a great deal of significance. Biblical names are very significant. Just think about it. What was the first man called? Adam. What does that mean? Man, means what? earth doesn't it does it not yeah earth and so it was from the earth he took him Abram was called what what did he change his name to 
God changed his name to? Abraham. What did that mean? Father of what? Many nations. And then when Sarah was barren and old without child and God told uh, Abraham that he was going to give them a child, what did they name the child? Isaac. And Isaac means laughter. So names have importance, at least in the biblical times. And we come to the names of Jesus Christ here, and they are as significant or more significant, really, than any other names that we could find in biblical history. Now, I want us to look at Isaiah, and I want us to look in verse 6 at the wording and phrasing first. A child will be born. Notice how careful the Holy Spirit is with the language here. And I, I, I mean this. I don't mean that it was by chance. I mean God directed this language. A child will be born. A, this does not say a child will be given. Why? Here God is telling us that there is going to be a baby born into the world. And he will have human flesh talking theologically of the incarnation. That's what it's called. And will be born of a woman. And this woman, the mother, will be a virgin. There is one difference, though, between Jesus Christ and other babies that were born then and born in this world. And that is what? He was born without a what? Sin nature. Jesus was not born with a sin nature. The Spirit of God superintended the, the conception so that Mary was a virgin and she was conceived by the Holy Spirit so that it would bypass the human nature being contaminated. And so Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5.21 that God made Jesus who knew no sin what? To become sin for us. He who knew no sin, he died on the cross, bore our sins to become sin for us, so that what? We might become the righteousness of God. We were alienated from God because of our sinful state. But God has brought us into his presence by clothing us with whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness, not our own. It's in Christ Jesus. So if Jesus, just think about it, if Jesus were, was just a human being with a sinful nature, then his death would have done nothing for us. It wouldn't have saved us because he would have just been a mere human being with sin himself. And also, as our high priest, Jesus helps us in our weaknesses. But if Jesus were sinful then he would be as weak as we are. And he wouldn't be able to help us as he does. And this is what we're going to be looking at, his help, in just a few moments. Here the Holy Spirit told Isaiah that the Son would be given, which means that the Son already existed. God came forth, God the Son came forth as the, uh, the Son of God, to be the Savior for the world, the Messiah that they were looking for. 
What is the son's name? Remember, names in biblical days carried a great significance. And when we come to the names of Jesus, they are significant for two reasons. Jesus has two aspects of significance here. Number one, the names of Jesus are a revelation of who he is. The names of Jesus tell us something about his character. He is holy. He is righteous. He is omniscient. He is perfect. The names of Jesus also signify what he means to us. You can look at every name of Jesus as a potential lack in your life that he is a source to fill with. In other words, he's a resource to fill that lack. Now I want us to look at the first name. His name shall be called Wonderful. He is wonderful, why? Because he is God. In Judges 13, 18, uh, we read and we've been studying about the different judges. And if you remember the story about Samson, you remember that uh, the angel of the Lord came to Manoah, uh, his wife first and then Manoah, and, and told them that they would have this son. And Manoah wanted to know a little bit more about the angel of the Lord. And so he said, what's your name? And what did he say? He said, my name is what? He said, it's wonderful. Why do you ask my name seeing it is wonderful? In other words, the Lord was telling him an appearance of the Lord in, uh, in the Old Testament to Manoah and his wife were telling him that my name is basically something that you cannot describe because it describes me. He is incomprehensible. He is simple. He is wonderful. He is, as we would say today, awesome. And so Jesus Christ, who is he? He's unchangeable. He's incomprehensible. He's wonderful. He is awesome. Now then, the second thing that we need to look at with this name is his name shall be called Counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. You stick that on there with Counselor. You can look at any name of Jesus and guess what he'll do? It will fill any lack in your life. Jesus has a resource to fill that lack. Unfortunately, He's the last one that many people go to for their answer, for their help, if they even go to him. But just think about it. That is really odd because it's amazing that we seek Jesus and his counsel at last resort, but he's never wrong. He is infallible. He's the infallible counselor. He has never had to say to someone, sorry about that, I gave you the wrong advice. How many times have we given the wrong advice? Maybe we didn't even tell the person we gave them the wrong advice. How many times has he ever had to say, I didn't know the other side of the story. Man, I didn't know what was going on. There's two sides of the story. 
He never has to. He knows it all. Never did he say, well, you know, I shouldn't have read into that situation because I read into the situation and I gave you the wrong advice. I read the wrong things into it. Or I let my emotions get the best of me when I gave that advice to you. And it was just the wrong advice. It was emotionally stirred. And I didn't really think about it. Jesus has never had to go back on any of his advice. His word is truth. His word is right. His word is perfect. You see, whenever he speaks, we can be assured that it is the truth. Whenever he advises, it is insightful. And whatever he reveals, it is discerning. But also, whenever he commands, it is perfect. Jesus Christ has never had to amend his words, modify his counsel, and he has never had to reverse, adjust, or alter his guidance. That's awesome. What kind of counselor can you have that is better than that? Would you go to a doctor with a health problem? And then as you go to him... You're sitting there waiting for some advice from him, him supposed to be the expert, and he says, you know, I just have a similar problem like that. What do you think it might be? I mean, I think you'd probably get up and leave, wouldn't you? Be, you know, we should be careful about who we go to, careful about what kind of advice. Make sure that we go to the right source. And Jesus is wonderful. And the one with the right advice always. In Colossians 2, it tells us why. We're told, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. Now, how much better could that get? Amen? And then he says, in Colossians 2, 3, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Man, how many times do we need wisdom in situations and circumstances? How many times do we need the knowledge to carry it out and know what to do? We know that all of this is hidden in Jesus Christ and revealed to us who are in him. Because he is our great and wonderful high priest. Some people won't go to certain people because they say that person just doesn't understand. Well, you can't ever say that about Jesus. Amen. Hebrews 2.17 the Bible tells us that the very reason that God became man and dwelt among us was, yes, to be our sacrifice, but also that he could be the merciful, sympathetic, understanding high priest. In other words, Jesus knows what it means to be tired. He knows what it means to be disappointed. He knows what it means to suffer. He knows what it means to be tempted. He knows what it means to be a person and at the same time to be God. Wow, how better can we get than that? What a counselor. Jesus is the best counselor one could go to because he loves us. He knows exactly what we're experiencing. He knows exactly what advice we need. 
He's patient with us. How many times have we been impatient with somebody with advice? We're just tired of listening to them. We're tired of hearing the same old thing. He's very patient with us. He's very understanding. He prays for us. Hebrews 7 says, He ever lives to pray for us to make intercession for us. And He also guides us. Psalm 119, 97, we're told, How I love your law and meditate on it all day long. Why? Because your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers because I meditate on your statutes. And then in verse 105, we read, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He guides us. Through his word, with circumstances, through godly friends, he uses them. And how do we receive it? Well, we're to search for it. We're to accept it. And then that means we're to apply it, obeying what God says. Because obedience brings joy and success. Now, I'm not talking about success in the sense of some of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, people that say, you know, you can get rich and you can pray about a, uh, you know, certain vehicle and you can have it and just lay your hands on the TV. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about success in the sense of walking with the Lord, overcoming temptation, being obedient to Him, experiencing that close fellowship with Him. Jeremiah 29, 11 even tells us about our plans. He says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are not plans to harm you, but to prosper you, to give you a hope and to give you a future. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto you, your own understanding, acknowledging him in all your ways and he will direct your path means to make your path straight. Wow. Paul wrote, For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? It is Jesus Christ, the great counselor. Jesus is infinitely wise. So he already knows all the details. He's omnipresent. He knows all the uh, extenuating circumstances and conditions. He's omniscient. So he knows your need, your heart, your desires, your sin, your difficulty, and your own contribution to the problem and everything else about the situation that may involve, be involved. And he's omnipotent. So he not only gives perfect counsel, but he empowers the counselee to be able to obey his advice. Divine counsel can not only, he can not only counsel us with the right thing, but he empowers us to apply the remedy to his counsel. So whether it's a personal counseling, family counseling, financial counseling, career counseling, whatever kind of counseling it might be, Jesus is the person to go to. We're to go to him and talk to him about the situation. Now, he may lead us to another counselor. He may lead us to a professional counselor. But we need to go to him first. 
Psalm 1 tells us, beware of the wrong kind of counsel, though. He said, blessed, happy, fortunate is the man who doesn't sit in the counsel of the ungodly. So, search it, accept it, obey it. And then he goes to the next name. His name will be called Mighty God. Not only is he wonderful counselor, but this clearly tells us of his deity. And we'll see that tonight. Just think. Jesus Christ didn't just come as a child. And his existence began then. He has always been. Matter of fact, he is the creator of this world and time. He is eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. He has always been. He's around and he always will be. What an awesome counselor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.